Hello, podcasters. Welcome back to Mr. Stroud's History Class. Before we get started with today's class, I want to give a shout-out, and I believe that's the terminology that young people use. And I learned that from a podcaster, Courtney, who I mentioned many, many podcasts ago. She is a mathematician. She's an artist. And she would listen to podcasts with her grandmother, Mimi, and I mention her as a great historian, a great mathematician. And she sent me a text message and said, thank you for the shout out. A shout out. Okay, a shout out. When I did the Battle of Shiloh, I mentioned my lovely daughter, Sarah with an H and Anne with an E. And a lady that has never really been into history at all, except for the Titanic. And that bloody pond has just stayed with her. So I mentioned that during the Shiloh lecture, and she gave me a text message. Thank you for my moment of fame, or words to that effect. And so I got to thinking about that. And podcasters, I want to tell you, and I mean every single word of this, and every letter, and every word. I appreciate each and every one of you. When I was a classroom teacher, you didn't have to come to class. It was college. Most of you have been to college. You don't have to go unless you want to pass. But with these podcasts, no, you don't have to listen. But many of you do. And again, I appreciate that. And so I was thinking about how in the world could I show my appreciation. And so what I'm going to start doing is before each lecture, I'm going to give a shout out to two podcasters. And the first two shout-outs go to, hang on, Jennifer Adams and Dana Hillen. Just so happens that I had both of those in class. That's where I got to know them. And Jennifer went on to Stephen F. Austin, got a degree there in marketing, which is where I went, and got my bachelor's degree and my master's. And Dana is in banking. And Dana and Jennifer, or as Dana says, Jen, they became best friends in the fourth grade, and they still are. And Dana texted me that she was a podcaster for life. Podcasters, these are two wonderful individuals. And I am privileged that I had the honor of having them in my class and the fact that they are podcasting, oh, they just cannot find words to show how much I appreciate that. So Jennifer Adams and Dana Helen give my first two shout-outs and could not go to better people than you two. And again, I appreciate, I'm going to have to get into Webster's and find a word that is even better than that. And there you go, Dana and Jennifer. Today's lesson, today's lecture, what am I going to talk about today? Podcasters, listen to every podcast and write down this. Write down every time I say, I can't tell you everything. Sometimes I forget. It's like throwing a rock into a creek and ripples just go everywhere. That's the way it is with each one of these podcasts, with each one of the things that I say. It's like throwing rocks and ponds and ripples are going everywhere. 
And that's the way it was with the Emancipation Proclamation. And so I'm going to begin again by telling you the end of the Emancipation Proclamation lecture that I should have had. And that's this. Remember the telegram? A telegram answered. The Foreign Secretary of France telegraphed to the Foreign Secretary of England. We need, in the name of humanity, to declare war on the United States of America. And again, in case you did not listen to the Emancipation Proclamation lecture, how in the world is declaring war humane? Well, in this case it was because Lincoln was no fool and he knew darn well he could not he could not win a war against England and France and the Confederacy. He doesn't even know if he can win the one against the Confederacy. That would have stopped it. And the number that are going to die in that war now, they've estimated up to 800,000. That would have saved roughly mathematicians, Courtney, get Owen, my oldest grandson, he's 10, and he is a mathematician too. How many is that a year? So if you stopped that war in 1862 and the foreign secretary telegraphed back, Lee's moving north, there's going to be a battle. If Lee wins, we will declare war. Now, podcasters, he didn't say declare war, but that's what it was. We will recognize the independence of the Confederacy, and that would have meant war. If Lee wins, and where was that battle? Antietam. Did Lee win? No. No. So we get the Emancipation Proclamation. There's a political cartoon you can find somewhere on the internet. I saw it in the original Harper's Weekly years ago. Now, I can't show it to you, so I'm going to try to describe it. Courtney can draw it. Two men are playing poker. They're playing poker, but they're not using a table. It's a cracker barrel. And one of the young men, I'm not young men, young is relative. One of the players looks a whole lot like Abraham Lincoln. And his clothes is that of the United States flag. Now, what do we call him? Not Abraham Lincoln. We'll call him Uncle Sam. And he's playing cards with a gentleman that's a little bit chubby, a little overweight. And his clothing is that of the Union Jack. Who is this? This is the Uncle Sam of England, John Bull. Now, since I mentioned Uncle Sam and John Bull, who was the Uncle Sam of the Confederacy? Was not an uncle, but a cousin, Cousin Sally. And Uncle Sam is playing poker. And Uncle Sam has one card to play. And he's getting ready to put it down. And written on that card are two words. Emancipation Proclamation. And the meaning of that is this. John Bull, the next time you think about coming into this war on the side of the Confederacy, you better ask yourself this question. Which side is fighting to keep slavery and which side is fighting to end it? England was pro-South, pro-Confederate. 
but they hated slavery. They hated slavery. Now, how pro-South were they? The most destructive warship in the history of the American Navy was, was, now I said American Navy, the CSS Alabama. The CSS Alabama mainly destroyed merchant ships, but many thought that ship alone would win the war for the South. And guess what? The CSS Alabama was built in England by English work workers. It was built with English wood. It was equipped with English cannon. And the sailors were English. I'm going to say that again. The sailors were English. The only things confederate on the CSS Alabama were the officers and the flag. And so Lincoln puts that card down. Next time you think about it, you ask yourself that question that I just told you about. Guess what, podcasters? England will never again say if the South wins this battle, if Lee wins. No. And that's because Lincoln played the card of the Emancipation Proclamation. But here's something else. I left something out of the Emancipation Proclamation, and I did it on purpose, because I was going to mention it this time. They're going to start allowing blacks in the Union Army. People. What did I just say? I want you to pretend an explosion just took place. Because that's what that was. But when I would do this in class, I would ask my class. This is the way I took polls. What's the first war that blacks served in the United States Army? Sometimes they might be a guess, you know. See, the United States actually is not correct. The American Army. Well, they were in the American Army before we were United States. First one I'm going to give you is Battle of Bunker Hill, 1775. And when Washington gets command of the American Army and he gets to Boston, white officers brought a black soldier in to introduce to George Washington. His name was Salem Poor. He was a black that had fought at Bunker Hill. And he did so well, these officers wanted him introduced to George Washington as proof that these blacks need to come into the war on our side. Now, Washington's a man of his time, and not, I don't know if that's good enough. Good enough for what? To excuse things. This is the thing that's difficult, class. We are passing judgment on men that lived in a time that we cannot even imagine. I know we think we can because I thought I could when I watched movies and read books. We cannot imagine the world those people lived in. And Washington, a man of his time, a slaveholder, no. But he did bring them in. And there would be at least 5,000 blacks in the American Army, more blacks in the British Army. The British gave them their freedom. So the first war that blacks fought in was the American Revolution. War of 1812, they were Andy Jackson. They also were British. British. Now you Google this and see what you can find, okay? 
Colonial Marines. Colonial Marines. And what I found when I Googled that was the American Marines. The ones that became the United States Marine Corps. Podcasters, when I taught the War of 1812, this was a test question. And there was only one correct answer. Who were the Colonial Marines? They were British. Runaway slaves. Two regiments of runaway slaves that were given uniforms and muskets. I'm sure there were some in the Mexican War, but not in the numbers they were in the War of 1812 and the Revolution. So my point is, why is there a discussion about bringing blacks into the Union Army? And I would say it was like America has historical... You pick the word ignorance or amnesia. Are they both the same? Why would no one want them in? Oh, they didn't. Nothing Lincoln does is going to have 100% approval. Nothing. Some in the North said, if you let blacks fight for this country, how can you prevent them from having equal rights? It's one thing not to want slavery, but it's something else to give them equal rights. But Frederick Douglass, the most famous runaway slave and a friend of Lincoln, and there, my friends, is a connection that is rare for its day. Lincoln was the first president that befriended a black. And I don't mean they went to parties together. But how many times did Douglas come and call on Lincoln? I don't know. But Douglas helped convince Lincoln that you've got to bring blacks in the Union Army. Now that this war is about slavery, how can you not bring blacks into the Union Army? And so Lincoln did. And the last part of the Emancipation Proclamation announces that. So, podcasters, how many times have I said and will say, I do not know what you know. I don't. But I hear people to this day laughing and joking about World War II and the 90-day wonders. The lieutenant trained for 90 days. 90 days? 90 days of training? Podcasters, you may have guessed I was a U.S. Marine. I went to boot camp in 1964. That was 90 days. And then infantry training for 30 days. And then when I was a drill instructor, Vietnam is going. And we got those 90 days down to eight weeks. And then they went to ITR less than 90 days, and those Marines were good to go, and they did go, and they fought like devil dogs. 90 days? How long did a Union officer and a Confederate officer have in training before they got command? The number of days was zero. It was the last war, with one little exception. I don't even want to say this. Spanish-American War, but that's... That was a splendid little war. Civil War. You could be a civilian and in two seconds you could become a colonel. 
you would be elected and could have a commission all the way up to colonel. Generals had to be commissioned by the government. But even them had no military training unless they happened to be at West Point. In fact, the businessman businessman wrote a book about this. And I saw him interviewed and they said, what in the world are you doing writing a book about, about Civil War generals for business people? And he said some of the same qualities that made fine generals make great businessmen. Now I'm getting away from my point. You would go from civilian to general or colonel on a vote. On a Unless, unless you are going to command a black regiment. There were three requirements if you were going to command a black regiment. One, six months military experience, minimum, preferably combat. Many of these men had seen combat. All had six months minimum military experience, and many of them had been enlisted men, corporals and sergeants, and they could pick up commissions by doing this. So six months minimum military experience. Two, listen to this one podcasted, prove military proficiency. Before a board of officers, the candidate would be given an example, a situation And then he would have to give the orders and tell what his reaction would be. And had to prove military proficiency. And then the last is a yes and a no. And this is going to be the toughest one. Before the question is asked, they're going to tell you something. When the Confederacy learned that they were enlisting black soldiers and white officers... Jefferson Davis, the president of the Confederacy, issued a proclamation. And that proclamation was that any slave, slave, slave that is captured in a Union uniform will be sold back into slavery. And any white officer will be executed for inciting a slave rebellion. And so the last question, podcasters, Now that you know you will be executed by the Confederates if you are captured, do you still want your commission? And if he said yes, he's going to be an officer of a black regiment. There will be approximately 180,000 blacks in the Union Army. About 180,000. There will be about 40,000 in the Navy in the Navy. And how did they perform? Like whites. Some performed well. There'll be approximately 26 medals of honor. Some never saw combat. Here's a problem. Most Union soldiers, would they didn't mind blacks coming in as they said a black soldier can stop a bullet just as good as a white one can. 180,000 podcasters. In 1864, there were 
100,000 deserters in the Confederate Army. Just think of the manpower. Most white soldiers didn't mind at all. And now that this war was about ending slavery, how could you not have them in the Union Army? Now I'm going to just give you a little brief overview of three of the regiments. And they're going to serve as an example of all of them. And the first one, of course, is the 1st South Carolina Volunteers. I've already mentioned that regiment. With the Emancipation Proclamation on 1 January 1863, all slaves in states and rebellions will be forever free. And the 1st South Carolina Volunteers went to church and they were staring at a clock. And as that clock ticked and got closer to midnight, on midnight of the 31st, the 1st, 2nd of the 1st, the 1st South Carolina Volunteers started singing, My country tis of thee, sweet land of liberty. They were the first. Another one I want to mention, the 1st Louisiana Native Guard. The 1st Louisiana Native Guard of New Orleans. Now when I say, and I'm going to say it again, there were no blacks in the Confederate Army. If you get on Jeopardy and they ask how many blacks were in the Confederate Army, ring in, form it as a question, what is zero? Podcasters, history is complicated. The 1st Louisiana Native Guard with New Orleans and they were free blacks. They were Creole. And when the Confederacy was formed and Louisiana succeeded and became a Confederate state, they got together and they said, you know, we would probably get a better situation if we help them. And so they formed the 1st Louisiana Native Guard and they went into New Orleans and offered their service to the Confederacy. Now, I want to tell you that you can imagine what they thought when they saw these men coming in. and Well, they didn't know what to do with them, so they said, okay, go home and we'll have you come back. And They're not going to give them any weapons, of course. They don't want to do that. And so they technically brought them into the militia. Now, that's not the Confederacy. That's the militia. So that could be the one little example. And then when the Union forces captured New Orleans in 1862, the 1st Louisiana Native Guard come marching back in, and now they become Union soldiers. And the first battle they are in is the battle at Port Hudson, Louisiana. Now, in 1863, the Union forces are besieging two places along the Mississippi. Vicksburg is the one more famous, and Port Hudson. Many years ago, I read a two-volume history of Port Hudson, the battle there, the siege there. Fantastic. And the Union commander did not like blacks. So he's going to send the 1st Louisiana Native Guard on a suicidal attack. And every soldier there knew that. And the morning of the attack, as they were calling the roll, and most of them had French names, white soldiers knew what was going to happen to them. But they went anyway. They went anyway. The most famous black unit, the 54th Massachusetts. 
And before I forget, podcasters, I'm going to give you a homework assignment. You watch the movie Glory. If you've already watched it, watch it again. If you don't know how to do that, get on YouTube. And if nothing else, watch the attack on Fort Wagner. The second battle for Fort Wagner. Now, they were in some actions before that. But in the second battle of Fort Wagner, it is virtually a suicidal attack. Now, when you're watching that, you see them form up and you see them attack. All right, podcasters, you know what a pet peeve is? I told you in the first class I have some pet peeves when it comes to history. And this is one of them. I cannot tell you how many times I'm visiting with someone and they mention how idiot and how stupid it was to walk toward the enemy like in the Civil War and the American Revolution. And you know what I ask? I hate to do this. Well, what else are you going to do? Be men? How do you get from point A to point B if you do not walk? The same people that say it was stupid in the Revolution and stupid in the Civil War, I don't hear them saying that about Normandy, Iwo Jima. I don't hear them saying that about coming in on a chopper, landing in a landing zone, and then moving through a rice paddy. How else are you going to get from point A to point B? And you watch that on YouTube, the Second Battle of Fort Wagner. And you see how they got from point A to point B. It was a suicidal attack. One of the soldiers there got the colors, got the flag, and as he was moving up to the fort under intense enemy fire, he was wounded. And he planted that flag in the sand and he held it there. And even when he was being carried off, he would not let that flag touch the ground. In 1900, Henry Carney went home. And there was a box from the post office. It wasn't big. In 1900, Carney had received the Medal of Honor. Now, why in the world did it take so long? I have no idea. And if any of you can answer that question, and that taken 1863 to 1900, that was standard operation procedure. Most Civil War Medal of Honor recipients, it took that long. And of course, I don't know why. If you do, you text me, you write to me, jarheaddvs at gmail.com and you let me know. You just let me know. And that's three of the units. But before I end, I want to mention something. The designation of these units. There were several of them. One was United States Color Troops. USC, United States Color Troops. First South Carolina Volunteers, parentheses, colored. But one, I don't think you can Google this. I tried to Google this, 
Well, one I like, Cor, C-O-R-P-S, Cor de Africa. Cor de Africa. 180,000 black troops. 26 medals of honor. Now, homework. The movie Glory. And a book. Yes, a book. But this book, I want you to go to Amazon.com. Go to books. 1861, The Civil War Awakening. Podcast, and I want to tell you something. I ride around in my pickup truck. And I listen to audio books. I listen to lectures. And it is joyful. Joyful. I'm going to do a podcast. I was drafted to give the commencement address at Kilgore College. And my, I was told, your subject is going to be, don't pick one out. Your subject is going to be, are you ready? The joy of learning. And it is a joy. And to be riding around in that pickup truck and to listen to this stuff, oh my gosh, podcasters. There's a saying, it just don't get no better than that. So what I want you to do, I want you to go to Amazon.com, go to books, type in 1861, the Civil War, and then you look at MP3 and you hit that and you're going to see a little word, listen, and you hit that. And for about three minutes, you're going to listen to the reader. Now what he's going to tell you about is the battle where he's going to tell you about the preceding of the battle, Wilson's Creek, General Nathan Lyon. But I want to tell you, this book on audio, I have listened to it at least three times, and I'm probably going to listen to it again. Now, if you don't want to do the audio, then you get the book. If you don't want to buy it, get the library to buy it. Get it in a library loan. And it will end in July of 1861. And what you are going to learn, it's just fantastic. And I'm going to start doing this with everyone. I'm going to give you a book. Because I had someone text me and he said, thank you for recommending that book. And one other thing. About a year and a half ago, I saw a sword for sale. And it had a presentation on it to an officer in a black unit. But beneath that presentation was another one that had been sort of removed. They tried to. And I called him and asked him, and they didn't know why. Maybe the people had not bought it and they tried to remove it and then sold it again. But what a fantastic story that sword would have been. So, podcasters, that's a little overview of the blacks in the Union Army in the Civil War. The reason there was never another telegram the Emancipation Proclamation. But there's more to come. Because in the next podcast, I'm going to give you a little overview and the importance of the bloodiest battle in the Civil War. The bloodiest day was Antietam. But the bloodiest battle, that's yet to come. And so, Tennessee Ernie Ford, YouTube, 
The Marching Song of the First Arkansas. The Movie Glory and the book 1861. And I will see you again in the next history class on the podcast. Have a good one, podcasters.